I've had a lot of people approach me, and they want me to talk about the book of Revelation. And so, hang on, let me find this right here. Document only, boom. And I've wanted to do it for a long time. I could say easily, maybe longer than this, but what I'm sharing with you this morning has been in, in preparation for well over 10 years. Since 2000, maybe 2000, you know, yeah, well, well over 10 years. And to understand the book of Revelation was an interesting thing. I was going to preach a message this morning, as I talked about on Wednesday night. I said I might talk about the 144,000, which, of course, is you say that to most people. Not so much nowadays, because people don't really know about other religions necessarily or whatever. You know, they apply that to a Jehovah Witness teaching. And so uh, I was going to address that, and, and I may do it. I may do it Wednesday night. Joel's, Joel's not going to be able to be here Wednesday night. He's going to be out of town. So I don't know, I don't know what we're going to do Wednesday night. I may teach on the 144,000. What, but what's important to know about the Bible is, number one, I learned that Yahweh is a mathematician. Hear me? He's a mathematician. And his Bible, his inspired word is so exact it always continues to blow me away when I see the exactness of what these things that interlock together over a period of thousands of years and different people you know being inspired by God writing the next part that interlocks with you know it's like a word that prevail uh, that uh, continues to and goes on and on and on and on and adds upon itself, line upon line, precept upon precept. So the problem with the book of Revelation is you really have to know so much more about this, about this, like the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, I mean, all these other things, to really put it in a perspective of what's being said here. And you also have to understand the basics of the Bible, such as, you know, uh, the truth about Satan, the truth about fallen angels, the truth about, you know, uh, heaven and hell, the truth about, you know, all this stuff. And bottom line, you have to know the true gospel because if not, then you're going to be trying to suck something out of these, these words in the book of Revelation and try to make it fit in something that's not true. And it won't work. It, wasn't, it won't work. And so... This morning, I want to, I told my wife, I said, I mean, I, I finished this last night about, I guess, 10 o'clock. You know, I played golf yesterday, and it screwed my game all up. I mean, I was like, I'm thinking on this stuff, and how can I put this in a form that doesn't just wear you out with the longevity of it? I believe that I could take the first chapter of the book of Revelation and teach it for, I told them in the back office a while ago, in my office, uh, two years. But let's say one year. One year. Just in the first chapter. 
Because it explodes with things that if you already know certain things, that when you read it, they confirm the very things that you have now found out that proves modern Christianity to be totally wrong. And so, how do I do this and feel good about it in the sense that when I go home, I feel like that I have, I have represented the truth of this word. And so, to excuse myself from that, I'm going to say that this is a brief summary. I have a friend of mine that years ago, he read my brief su summary on Satan and the devil. And he said, man, I love the, what you said, but uh, well, I have one problem with, with what part of that. And I said, what's that? The brief part. He said, I, if that's brief to you, then I don't want to hear anything in detail. And so I said, okay, all right, let's work, let's work on that. So this morning, I'm going to talk about what I like to call the apocalypse. I don't like the book of Revelation. I don't like that. The Greek word is apocalypsis, the apocalypse. It's funny, me and Joel, it, oh yeah, he's gone. Oh, and we've been left behind. Hey, we were in a youth choir. Oh yeah, Reggie was too, called the apocalypse. Of course, Reggie, what they asked him to do is not sing, but uh that, that word was apocalypse, the apocalypse, you know, and most people only relate it to some uh, movie, the apocalyptic age and, and, you know, those mental pictures that we have. So, as I've tried to put these notes together so I won't just go off on a rabbit trail, I want to say that I believe there's no more conclusive evidence of how astray and unchristian professed modern Christianity is around us than the ignorance that prevails with regards of this book called the Apocalypse or the book of Revelation. The very last book in the New Testament. And I want you to hear a perspective today. Be open to a perspective. Because it depends on how you see things that will reveal how you understand them. The very beginning of this book, in the, open, of the opening sentences when you start reading... That Yeshua does not speak directly. He is not speaking in the opening statements. Now, if you don't understand about the Elohim, you don't understand a lot of things like that. We have assumed certain things. But if we, if we were empty our mind of all our preconceptions and we just read this Bible straight, says this. He said in regard to the apostles which John, who was writing this book, was, this is what he said, He that heareth you, heareth me. So we hear Yahshua speaking when we hear John speaking and describing this book as a revelation sent from Yahshua. Watch this. 
who received it from Yahweh. So we got Yahweh who gave the message to Yahshua, who in turn gives the message to John, but not personally. Hang on. That's, how I, that's why I see every little thing like that makes me want to go into, you know, uh, the Trinity, you know, the, the John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, all that kind of stuff. But it's all really, if you can read the book of Revelation, it, it, it just tells and reveals these things to you, but we read over stuff. When somebody says to me, Brother Johnny, the book of Revelation is fulfilling right now. Wrong, it's not. It's over. I mean, ultimately, the very end is still being worked out. But the fact is, listen to what he said to John. And this is what I tell people. When they want to talk about the fallen angels, they want to talk about all this stuff. It, he said this. In order that this was Yahshua speaking to John from a revelation he got from Yahweh in order that his servants might know the things that would, watch this, shortly come to pass. What about the whole happen? I said, look, it's already happened. What about the mark of the beast? It's already happened. And, 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 and oddly enough, the mark that was given to people who without it could not buy or sell, guess what, was a cross. Somebody said, what are they going to put a chip in me? I'm going to tell you what, if I don't have to carry my keys around my pocket, I'll take a chip. You know, I don't have to have a wallet. You mean I can go up there and scan my hand? I've never, what, how convenient would that be? Well, what if it's in the forehead of the right hand? Put it in your left hand. Right? Well, you know, your right hand and your forehead does this. There you go. There's your mark of the beast if you want it. I did that. When Yash, we hear Yahshua speaking in verse number three, and let me tell you, look at what he says about reading this apocalypse, this apocalypsis. He said, blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. We hear him speaking directly at the end of that book, and this is what he said. Listen, I, Yahshua, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. So if this book of the apocalypse is a message from Yahshua sent to for the enlightenment and for us to be blessed, his servants, and to be testified in the churches among those people or among those are blessed who read it and understand it, how are we supposed to estimate the condition of society which is not only these things unknown but these things when read are not understood and who's in my experience the the popular sentiment about the book of revelation is what you can't understand it I've heard him all my life. Yeah, well, though, you can't understand that. What does it mean? Wait. Well, wait a minute. I thought it was for something that would bless the servants of God. So he gives us this thing so we, we, we don't understand it. 
That, that, you're telling me that these things are they're unknowable, Johnny. Well, dang, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't the smartest person in school, maybe. But when it's something by given from God to me, I should be able to understand it. Is that a fair statement? There's many reasons. I'm going to tell you why the apocalypse is not understood. And all of those people who really know the true gospel and who know the truth, we, we know the reasons. This book deals with the scenes and events belonging to the earth and to the nations upon it. Scenes and events which in their general outlines are the subject of the Old Testament prophecies from the beginning. So what it is, the book of Revelation, is the fulfillment and the prophesying of things that were already prophesied. And he said it's going to happen shortly, and let me tell you about it. It constitutes the subject matter of one thing, the gospel of the kingdom. We made it a boogeyman book. We made people read it, get scared to death. Oh, the great tribulation. Oh, oh, my God. To hear about the great tribulations for seven years is going to be so bad. It, it is just so utterly, irresponsibly ignorant to believe that. And I used to believe it. But I believed it because I was told that. And I was told, well, this is what it is, but don't read about it because you can't understand it anyhow. Why waste your time on the book of Revelation when you can tell, be telling people, get Zig Ziglar's material and teach people how to be successful and happy? You don't have to have revelation knowledge for that. You don't have to have a relationship with Yahweh for that. You don't have to have the spirit of God. You don't have to know this, have the spirit of truth for that. These people have fixed their theology on, and their attention upon heaven and hell. And they've fixed their perspective from, a, from a, excuse me, their viewpoint from the perspective that their theology is about th this, this disembodied state of existence from a spirit after death. And they just cannot line it up and get a correct understanding of the apocalypse. They believe this world and that doesn't exist, and they believe that there's going to be fire-breathing dragons and horses and real big fat woman with her feet on the moon. I don't have time today to talk about how modern Christianity has failed and and uh, discarded, and how they got rid of, and how the true gospel got uh, hijacked. I've, I think I've done enough teaching on that for you, anyhow. Maybe not those people that are listening, but you already are there, so I can go be. I have to, but if I was going to really have to teach this this Bible, uh, this chapter, I'd have to include a whole teaching on that. I'd have to go teaching on, you know, uh, uh, about spirit, you know, immortality of the soul. Where does a man go when he dies? I mean, you, you realize how big that this has to be for people to understand the book of revelation thank god you already know amen, amen. the explanation of this last book was told to me that it is unintelligible it is useless 
What does it matter? I, I've been even told that it's been, it was dangerous. I want to tell you something. I say this in all the humility in the world, but I say it with the, with, as I boast in Yahweh. You're blessed today because you know somebody who can remove the scriptures from the veil of misapprehension that hides the general understanding of this book, and you should be thankful for it. I want to tell you, I'm not boasting, and I'm boasting of the Lord. Having received the benefit of a lot of labor, it's now your duty to be responsible to know these things and to live these things and to extend it to other people. My object, objective this morning is to somehow exhibit in a simple form the meaning of this, which at first sight apparently is not really understandable book of what they call Revelation, which I think is more appropriate to call it the Apocalypse. So you can call it whatever you want to. My son told me that that lid wasn't on there good. Are y'all ready? I need that coffee this morning. All right, here we go. The apocalypse is not just part of a, you know, the apocalypse, excuse me, is it's just part of a whole revelation, but it is part. And I want you to look at the first line the opening verse says this, the revelation of Yahshua Christ, which God gave unto him. There it is. Where'd he get it from? He got it from God. Well, I thought he was God. Well, in a sense, in the true sense of what God is and being a multitudinous manifestation of the deity manifested in people and being invited to the Godhead makes him part of the God family. Yes. And he's the firstborn of many of the new creation. See, I can't, even, I can't even talk about it without having to go back and try to explain all that. Because some people don't know. Oh, let me, let me just go on. I mean, this to me, this insinuates the very obvious that before Yahweh gave it to Yahshua, Yahshua obviously didn't know it. Why would you give it to him? Why would, why would Yahweh have to give something to Yahshua if he already had it? Now, this is kind of what you've got to start thinking. You're studying the Bible. You got, I mean, to me, it's so practical. It's not spooky. Now, the conclusion of what that one first line says, y'all know I can preach two months, three months on that one line. And I'm not boasting I can do that. Matter of fact, I almost hate the fact that I would have, feel like I had to do it to explain it. Okay, go here, go here, go here. But it's necessary to, in some places and to many people. So that right there cannot be in harmony with the doctrine that everybody thinks that somehow Yahshua is co-equal to Yahweh. How can they be co-equal if they're not co-equal in knowledge? Yahweh is all-knowing. Yahshua, and I'm not criticizing Yahshua. As a matter of fact, this is the greatest thing about Yahshua that I know. See, I'm getting off on my subject. I, I, I'm never going to get past the first two verses. I, I told y'all, for, for me to do the book of Revelation, 
just, just the teaching on the 144,000, you have to know math and know what square roots are and what they mean and everything in the Bible, the 12s and, and what it means and what is it. it okay, here we go. Are y'all ready? I'm trying to get started. Well, it may not be in harmony with what modern Christendom has taught us all of our life. But it's in harmony with what Yahshua himself declared while he was on the earth. Let me listen to this. In Mark 13, 32, I, was, I had a visitor here, a couple of people I've invited to church here, and I took them out to lunch afterwards, and we're sitting there, and they're, they're, pro, they're professed Catholic. You know, they're not really Catholic, and I, I jump on the guy about it all the time, just kind of picking at him, because he's a Catholic, but yet he believes in birth control. I said, well, then you're not a Catholic. I told you you wasn't a Catholic. I knew you wasn't a Catholic. He said, well, I don't believe in abortion. I said, that's great. But true Catholics do not believe in birth control. So if you do, he said, yeah, but the, the situation, well, I said, no, 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 no. You ain't a Catholic. You ain't a Catholic. I mean, it's almost like I do that to him. And so we were sitting at lunch, and so they were asking questions, and so I, this subject came up and, uh, because I brought it up, because I knew I could hit on something, and I said, yeah, you know, it's funny how, you know, Yahshua or Jesus don't even know when he's returning. She said, what are you talking about? I said, yeah. I mean, Where'd you get that at? I said, the Bible. The Bible. So when asked the question at the time of his return, this is Yahshua's response in Mark 13, 32. Of that day knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven. Watch this. Neither the Son but only the Father. Well, I didn't get any response from that because that disrupts the cart too much. Because if you deal with that right there, then you've got to go back and deal with a lot of theology of what you say you believe, but people don't really know or say what they believe. They say they're Catholic, but they're really not because they're not committed to what Catholics really say they are. Does that make sense? So I get that. Never heard anything else, but I'll tell you what. I put a seed in there. Call me Johnny apple seed Yahshua only knows as much as the father pleases oh I'm going to have people foaming at the mouth y'all I promise you so let me move on Yahshua sent the information I'm back, in, back to the book of the apocalypse to show unto his servants Things which must shortly come to pass. Let me tell you where it's not sent to. It's not sent to the whole world. It was sent to his friends. Who's a friend of Yahshua? It's very clear. John chapter 15 verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. It used to get on my nerves when I see church people saying, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. And I know you ain't. No, you ain't. You have to do what, it's conditional. Yahshua ain't going to be your friend if you don't do what he commands you to do. Oh, Y'all get quiet. Somebody, somebody was telling me the other day, I got to tell you this. All people are equal. God loves everybody. He loves them all the same. He treats them all the same. I said, 
Have you ever heard of the favor of God? You know what? Another word comes from the word favor? A favorite. So how is Yahweh treating everybody the same when he shows favor to some and not the others? Oh, he has his favorites. Everybody, I have the favor of God. Then you're different than those that don't. Man, I am off my subject today. I'm going to run for mayor. This is why it's difficult for people to read this and not understand the way it was communicated. It was intended for a class who in their knowledge of the purpose of God that was revealed in the prophets, the apostles, possessed the key of opening the mysterious and more elaborate exhibition of these things in detail. You've got to have a key or an apostle. Nobody else can understand these things and, or make use of it. So what do they do? When's the last time you really heard somebody pre teach on the book of Revelation? And when they do, all they do is get that half-baked, warmed-up baloney by Hal Lindsey and that other guy, which in one of my messages I, I talk about that. Jesus Christ or Antichrist? I talk about both other books. It's bull. It's baloney. There's no scriptural proof. But we don't care because we love good novels. You got any good books lately? Got any good movies lately? That's why it's so little, been so literally, uh, literally. Why, that's why it's not been understood by the world at large. It's, it, if it has been sent by Yahshua to the friends of Yahshua, then to me, I would think that there is a deep desire within those who are the friends of Yahshua, to have this, to, to want to understand what this message is that he's writing to us so we can be blessed. I know that may be a simple way to look at things, but guess what? It's a simple message. What about the form and the way it was delivered? We, we can't just make up something and speculate about this. It is not an open question whether the things seen by John were literal or symbolic. Why do you say that? Because the same verse that we're in, in the same chapter, tells us whom it was sent to. Listen to this. He sent, and watch this word, signified it by his angel to his servant John. So we know it wasn't Yahshua that gave the message to John. Is that important? Heck yeah, because in that's the whole teaching of Elohim. It's the whole teaching of that is, is uh, that, that, that we have an angel. Well, I do. Everybody doesn't. I've taught you how to activate that angel, get him moving on your behalf in a positive sense. It was not sent in a plain form, but it was sent in this... He said he, he signified it. 
He put it in a metaphoric form. He put it in symbolic form. He put it in a sign form. When, you, when something is signified or to signify is to represent something by a sign or a symbol. That's a signification. And so John was given the message not only by what he heard, but also what he was shown. Are you with me? And I'm trying to be very specific with me. And the beauty of it was this. It's an easy test. I love open book tests. Man, you can go and the teacher would put the first part of the sentence and you could find it in your book and the answer would be the second part of the sentence. I'm like, I think I'm going to do good in this class is what I think. So he saw these certain things and he describes these certain things and concerning those certain things, he is repeatedly informed that the thing that is so mysterious and the meaning of what he saw, it was this and it's that. Okay, what you see this, this is what that is. You see this, this is it. You know, it's like the lake of fire. There's a lake of fire. It's a lake of fire. We have a image of a lake of fire. And if, but if you finish to get the answer, it says, which is the second death. Isn't it great when God shows you something, then explains it to you what it is? Yes, sir. Hallelujah. The first thing he saw... I, I, I apologize. I just want to stop on all these. The first thing he saw was this illuminated, luminous, shiny, whatever word you want to use, person standing in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. And he had in his hand seven stars. Whew, that's deep. What is it? It's an, he is seeing something that was given to him in symbol. I see it, but what does it mean? Well, verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, which in verse 11 are given. And the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. Okay. I know the answer to those two things. The book of Revelation ain't as hard as people think it is. And neither is the gospel. And neither is understanding Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Unless somebody puts something in your head to make you not be able to see clearly. Or you're in darkness. These kind of explanations, man, are scattered throughout the whole book of Apocalypse. And it gives us the, the, the answers, really, by which the, everything can be worked out and understood. It really isn't that hard. But you can't just go to the book of Revelation and think you're going to understand these signs and what they mean and the numerical numbers and all that if you haven't have any kind of teaching on the entire Bible. You're not just going to wake up one day and say, 
I wonder what number 7 means in the Bible. I wonder what number 12 means in the Bible. It should mean something because he did everything by 12s. Not everything, but most things. For, for To be given these signs and these, these pictures without any explanation of their meaning... Wouldn't be a revelation. <laughs> yeah, is that only funny to me? Am I boring y'all yet? I'm sorry. This is like this is this teaching to me is like I told my wife and I said, man, this I don't even want to do this. I said, if you had these pictures. Of these things, okay, there's, there's a, a guy shining bright, and he's in the middle of the seven golden candlesticks, and, and he's got seven stars in his hand. To not have the, the book called The Revelation reveal what that meant, it wouldn't be a revelation. Please tell me y'all got that. Even if you didn't, just say, ah, yeah, we got it, Johnny. We got it. It would have been a concealment and a mystery and a bewilderment, and we still wouldn't know what the heck it was meant. So what did what did Yahshua, what did Yahweh tell Yahshua to tell the angel to tell John? Tell them what it means. That way they will know. Well, if we can know, how in the world or does everybody say we don't know? See, this is how the divine speaks to people. We were talking about Wednesday night. You know, somebody was talking about a vision that I had. So, well, what is that? What, what, what was it a vision? Was it a dream or what was it? It wasn't a dream. There's a difference between a dream and a vision. But it wasn't like I went to this trance and all of a sudden in my bedroom came all these things happening and I'm sitting there or I look on, I'm laying in the bed and on the ceiling comes a, you know, 4K, 5K, whatever it is of these things. That's not what it... Literal things are always the basis of how Yahweh speaks to us. But He always uses these symbols... And he's done it throughout the whole Bible. Even from the very beginning. You go to the book of Genesis like we're talking about. Listen, y'all. There really wasn't a tree. And that's going to screw people up. There really wasn't forbidden fruit and unforbidden fruit. You know that, don't either. Okay, usually. Oh, there's two trees over there. Like that, you know. Now you say, I believe that was literal. Okay, I'll give you that. You don't believe that's literal? That's fine. I wouldn't tell you it's not. I'm just telling you, though, that the message is irrelevant. Whether it's real or not real, the message is this. There's two trees. There's a camp of the spirit and a camp of the flesh. You all hear me? That's what it's about. It's a picture. You know, when I tell people uh, about, about, I call it the parable of Noah. Oh, they don't like that. I'm not saying Noah didn't exist and there wasn't an ark. I'm not saying that's not true. I believe there was a man named Noah who built an arky arky and built it out of wood and a gopher barky barky. I believe that. But the sign and the reality, the literal of it, is only part. 
for us to learn the spiritual. And all those things were given for our benefit. Because Yahweh has always had one thing in mind. Yahshua and his body. From Genesis all the way to Revolutions. What kind of serpent was that? <laughs> I don't care, whatever you want it to be. I'm not worried about a serpent in the garden. It's a sign or symbol or metaphoric, you know. I'm, what I'm thinking about, and if it was a real one that could talk. I, I, what, let me tell you how I alleviated people about that. When I first started teaching that, they said, serpents can't talk. I said, well, you don't know that. They were upright, the Bible says. Then they fell. That's a whole other teaching about the serpent and the rod. They were upright. Now they started. They have to eat dust the rest of their life. What does dust mean? Well, go back to dust. Death. Or, I mean, huh. oh, is that another metaphor? Probably. Is it real? Yeah, you go back to dust. You literally do. Well, what about him? Animals can't talk. You ever heard a parrot? Well, he's just mimicking. Well, that's all really the serpent did. The serpent didn't have the mentality in his own mind to, to say something against God. He heard somebody saying something, if you even believe that. So what I did, though, to, to discredit somebody who was trying to say, that animals don't work, I showed a video. How many of you remember the video I showed years ago? There was an elephant, and you can Google him now because he's still on YouTube, who can take a paintbrush and paint a picture of a house better than you can. So what are you saying? I'm saying that it don't matter to me. It's irrelevant. But in the book of the apocalypse, I got to tell you, there ain't no big fat woman with the sun in her eye. That ain't she there. There's no horse with a bromstone coming to the earth. There's no dragonflies with the heads of a lion that are, that are Apache helicopters. Man, you, read, you look at the Mosaic Levitical system. It is such an elaborate symbol, system of symbols. And we learn about those symbols in the, in, the, in the New Testament, what they really mean. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, you know, all those things. The messages of the prophets are mainly just figurative. figurative. But they're literal in their structure and in their bearing upon our lives. This ain't the first time pure symbol was employed to represent future foretelling of events. You ever read the book of Daniel? Holy smoke! The vision of the image and the stone and the vision of the four beasts and the vision of the ram and the goat will occur to everyone acquainted with that book that they are pointed examples, but they're just figurative. I knew the Bible wasn't true. I didn't say it's not true. It's divine language to help us understand. I can't read too good. Just let me look at the pictures. Anybody else have just looked at pictures before in your life? Ooh, I, I started to use a, an analogy for men, but I'm not going to use it this morning. Don't read, but look at the pictures. 
Even the, 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 not the major prophets, the minor prophets, the prophets like Hosea. Listen to what he said in chapter 12, verse 10. I've also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions, listen, and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. If the similitudes were employed without any clue to what they meant, then they wouldn't be any use, and they wouldn't enlighten us, and we wouldn't still wouldn't know what we're talking about. We would do like everybody else, just make stuff up. But the clues and the understanding of these things are supplied almost every single time. And it may not be in the immediate context, but somewhere corresponding with that, these things are explained. That's why they all understand. You, you're not going to understand the book of Daniel without understanding the book of Genesis or Exodus. And, I mean, it, you have to understand the full picture. And I'll tell you something. Most people ain't going to take time to do that. Diligent search will find it. But I found out that a lot of stuff don't require even digging because it lays right on the surface. And I still quoted you Luke chapter 13, verse 32 or 34. It says, you know, no, no man, no man knows the day, not even the sun. You don't have to dig for that. True. How much you would think of God? Yeshua knows everything. Well, he don't know that. You know, there's no digging there. Jeremiah, when he started in chapter 1, verse 12, listen to this. I see a rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto him, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. See, this almond rod meant something and what it symbolized, and that is this, that Yahweh will with speed Execute his purpose for his people. I can get to the, all the way to the, uh, Aaron's rod and the budding of that and all that, but that's what that means. And it carries that whole meaning all through the scriptures. You know what? You know what? Well, if I were to do this, if I were to hold up scales this morning, what, what would it represent to you? In America, it really don't represent that no more. But justice. Yeah, the law. Justice. See, the, the, that's the same thing. We understand that's what that means. It's graphic. That things, these things are symbolized, but it's necessary to realize that they're just a symbol. So John, when he saw these seven candlesticks, he really saw something that really had no actual existence. In other words, there wasn't a man illuminated that really existed, that really walked through seven candlesticks that really existed. It was a figurative, metaphoric vision that spoke. What, does he, what do they speak? Well, we know by studying the rest of the book, they, they have to do with seven ecclesias slash communities of men and women in the geographic area of Asia Minor. And he saw a drying river. He saw three frogs. He saw a seven-headed dragon. There was, but there was no literal river of frogs or dragon. I have a friend who well, I think he's really running from God. And, 
you know, he was wanted to be a preacher and wasn't, he wasn't successful in his mind at it. And so now he's turned to, you know, psychology and things like that. So he posted something ignorant, you know, on the on the Facebook the other day that said, uh, you know, I think Ezekiel was probably on LSD or something like that because of his visions. Well, you could probably think that. People take the book of Revelation and they try in their own mindset without even really reading the rest of the sentence, so to speak. They read to affirm what somebody's already pictured in their mind what it means. They believe that Babylon means Babylon. They mean that a dragon means there's a real dragon. You know, there's, there's, there's a Komodo dragon, but there's no dragons. There's no dragons. There was no real literal dry river or, or frogs. They were metaphoric, figurative, signify was the word. I'm going to speak it and I'm going to give you a sign, a picture, and show you. The two prophets. Man, I know there's two prophets. One, he's going to have a head wound. Y'all remember when Gorbachev came into power in Dagum, Russia, and he had that birthmark up here? That's him! It's the wound on his head! <laughs> because you think, you think in your little, you know, my little 63 years, soon to be 64, history's way bigger than that. You know what I'm saying? We try to justify everything and know everything. Well, I know everything because I've been here for 63 years here. <laughs> Gorbachev, that's him. Well, they also thought Mussolini was him and Hitler was him and Stalin was him. And, you know, everybody was him. Because you look at it in the era that you're living in on the basis of what you have. You think that what the little things going on. Let me tell you what. These little bitty riots going on in America right now are nothing in the scheme and the overall plan of the earth. Everybody, oh, what are we going to do? They ain't but a few of them. And they're so stupid up in Seattle. They done created their own government with a wall. With a wall. And they already run out of food. I don't know what the Greek is for dumbass. But I know what the English is. You know what I'm saying? Oh my God, are you kidding me? Well, I think they should have the right to protest. Listen, this too shall pass. The locust, the fire, ain't real locust, ain't real fire. The apocalypse, was set, the apocalypse was sent to, from God to Yeshua, to the angel, to John. I want you to remember that. Because that's how God does stuff. God spoke to me last night. Well, you know, he probably spoke to somebody who spoke to somebody who spoke to somebody who told you. The information... Of people who would listen to that message sent from God to Yeshua, to the angel, to, and then to us. Are all pronounced blessed who should keep the things written in it. Verse 3, and, and it says that throughout the whole book many times. Uh, chapter 15, verse 2 says this. To those who have gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. 
The book opens with the picture of John. Where is he? He's on the Isle of Patmos, this little bitty desolate island on the west coast of Asia Minor. He was banished there because he was a true Christian, an ecclesian, a friend of God because he did all that he commanded him to, friend of Yahweh, or Yahshua. And who sent him there was a man who was a Roman emperor. His name was Domitian. And before the vision begins, he's telling the story. John is. Hey, look, man, I was on this old Patmos, man. Domitian sent me here. Well, that's all we just know from history. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Hmm, what, a, what a good thing to be. And at the close of the first series of things that was shown to him, he heard a voice saying this in chapter 4, verse 1. Come up hither, and I will show thee things that must be hereafter. And goes on to say, and immediately I was in spirit, and behold a throne, etc., etc. You can read it for yourself. It's like Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 2. Same thing who also was being addressed on a certain occasion of being about to receive visions. And the Bible says this in chapter 2, verse 2, And the Spirit entered me, and when he spake to me, and again, and the Spirit entered to, into me when he spake to me. And then he says this, so this, in verse chapter 3, verse 14, So the Spirit lifted me up, took me away, and I went in bitterness and the heat of my spirit, but the hand of Yahweh was strong upon me. To be in the spirit like Ezekiel was and like, like John was on the Isle of Patmos, it just basically means that you, you are consumed by the spirit. You've been seized by him. You are covered by him. You are held by him for a particular purpose that was about to take place. And that is usually to receive a vision and a revelation that was given to God, to Yeshua, to an angel, to you, and then to other people. The fact of the matter is, John 15, 26, John 16, 13, this spirit was a constant companion to John, even on the Isle of Patmos. But why? Yahshua said this, I must go away. But if I go away, I will not leave you here alone. I will send a comforter to you, an instructor to you, a revealer of things to come. And here we are. John had a need for his constant companion when you're all by yourself. And even when you ain't, but you think you are. Amen? When did he ever need more comfort from the Holy Spirit than being sent into isolation on the Isle of Patmos? Here he is. No relationship, no fellowship, pining away for the truth's sake. Here he is, he's done something for God. He, he's there because of Yahweh or Yahshua and his, his life serving him. And there he is. Just What can he do to help anybody? I don't know anything that's comforted me more or will comfort the needs of any of us more than a, who are spiritual than we receive comfort in the shape of of a clear revelation about that great day of the Lord which is coming. 
I want to tell you, when I get bummed out and I get down and I feel whatever emotions I'm going through or whatever it may be or circumstances, oh, when I get a fresh revelation of that day that's coming and the hope that I have in Christ, I want to tell you, it don't matter my circumstances. Here he is, man, being chosen for communication of a bigger picture and a bigger cause for himself that will absolutely benefit the body of Christ and that which has come. We got power or something here? What happened? Nothing? I'm, maybe my eyes are growing dim. We still, we still broadcasting? Good deal. Listen to this. John on the Isle of Patmos and the power of the Spirit, he hears a loud trumpet-toned voice, and this is what it's saying. I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. Watch this. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He turns and looks where the voice was coming from, of course, and he saw one like unto the Son of Man, which he describes in detail. The figure was seen was not Yahshua himself, but he was like unto Yahshua. Are you hearing me? Do you know, have I told you lately that you have the potential to have an angel with you? I don't think people believe me. It ain't worth a paycheck to them, I'll tell you that. I don't think people believe me. I don't think they really acknowledge and appreciate and understand and can have their eyes open to see things that he goes before you and prepares the way before us in. I don't think we'd be quite so depressed if we knew it. Listen to this. The nature of the figure that he saw, which was like unto the Son of God, like God-like, God-likeness, godliness. That's what we're aspiring to, right? To become like God, like the Father, like Yeshua. He had a sword proceeding out of his mouth. All right. Can y'all give me a few more minutes? What does that mean? He sent and signified this message by an angel. And in chapter 22, verse 6, listen to this. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. It was his angel, and it wasn't Yahshua that visited John on that island. And I really want to make that clear for us to understand because I believe that we have the potential to have an angel present with us that shows and reveals. And I know there are human angels, and I, but I also know that there are Elohim, angels unaware is what the Bible calls them. John refers to that angel's visit in chapter 22, verse 8. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel and showed him these things. Then saith he to me, see thou do it not. What? Don't bow down and worship me. But we know that's not Yeshua. Don't bow down and worship me. For I am the fellow servant of thee. Hello. 
I mean, there's, how many years can we talk about this, that one thing that I've taught you for years about the releasing the angel of the Lord and the first fruit offering and, and the way he takes that sword and he goes before you. And I mean, on and on and on and on and on. I'm thy fellow servant of thee and of thy brethren, the prophets. This angel, which I don't think was human, but there are human angels, are there to give you the ability to see and hear things that have no real existence in the sense that they're types and shadows. They sure seem real to John. How many of you have things to you that seem real to you? Huh? It looks real to me. Well, it seemed real to me the way you talked to me. It seemed real to me. It seemed real to me. It seemed real to me. And there's some things that don't, we don't are able to seem or, or to see that are the truth about people. It's easy to see the bad about people, but it's, not, it's hard to see and see who they really are through the eyes of an angel revealing those things to you. Allowing you to see something good instead of always seeing something bad and the worst is never going to happen. I don't know what I'm going to do. God's not for me. Blah, 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 blah. How many of you had a dream before and woke up mad at your wife? Or you, you laid there asleep and your wife woke up and punched you in the mouth before you even got out of bed. You sorry, good for nothing. How dare you? Let me tell you what a dream is. A dream is something that you get impressed upon your brain by the natural realm while you're awake. Did I have a dream of the four rooms? No. Because dream, dreams come from while you're awake, things that come into your brain. John had a vision. It caused John to see and to understand signs and symbols of things that were to come. And the knowledge of which had been received by the angel, excuse me, from Yahweh to Yeshua by the angel who received I me. Mean, hang on. John received it. From the angel received from Yahweh who got it from his father. I just went that way instead of that way. A symbolic representation of Yahshua. Just like Moses in the burning bush. Everybody said, man, he talked to God. No, the Bible said it was a similitude of Yahweh. No man has ever seen Yahweh. These messages were sent to seven congregations in John's age and they were really intended to be worldwide application for every saint and every friend of Yahshua throughout the whole world. He said, listen, he that hath ears, let him hear. Which means this. He knew there'd be some people that wouldn't have ears to hear. Not just some, but most. People think this is an unimportant fact, and they look past he that hath ears, let him hear. They look past that, but I'm going to tell you, to me, it's been of pr great practical value. Because I've been times when I've been depressed or diverted from, from right conclusions because of what everybody else thought was true. That's why I say I believe me now. No, I really believe what the angel who got a message from Yeshua, who got it from the Father. That's what I believe now from his spirit word. There is a general apathy and lack of interest shown towards the great matters involved in Getting a well done, the gospel, and the book of the apocalypse. 
going to help us resist feeling bad over this. Oh, I can't understand it. To see that Yahshua is appealing to only those people who are interested, who are hungry, who are his friends, who are seeking, who are discerning. He always speaks critically of the spiritual attainments of the rest of the world and the, the mass of mankind and the church at large. He prayed in John 17, listen to this, the world hath not known thee. He said this, listen to this, Yahshua said, I don't pray for the world. Well, that's a, that's a different philosophy. Can we pray for the world this morning? Can we pray for the world? Let's all join hands and pray aloud, even though the Bible says don't do it and pray in secret. Let's pray for the world. Well, Yahshua didn't pray for the world. Luke 16, 15. What did he say about all these people? I'm going to tell you, I used to, I, I used to scare me to death. It wanted to rob me of being bold about what I thought I believed and what I found out because I really didn't want to say nothing to nobody because y'all know how it is. Hey, what if they think I'm stupid? Well, they probably already think certain things about us. But listen to what Yeshua said. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of Yahweh. The whole book, look at me. The whole book basically says that all the nations of the world are wrong. I thought I was just a negative person. I'm godlike. They're wrong. He used and signified, he used the metaphor and the figurative speech of, he said that these nations are drunk. Watch this. With the wine of abomination given to them by an ecclesiastical adulteress. Anybody know what a harlot is? That's the term, the sign that the Bible uses for modern Christendom. Oh, praise Jesus. That's all love, everybody. It's ain't about love. Chapter 13, verse 3 said, and I saw one of his heads as if it were wounded to death. Watch this. And his deadly wound was healed. That wasn't Gorbachev. And all, which today people don't even know who Gorbachev is. And all the world, watch this. And all the world wondered at the beast. It sounds like a King Kong movie to me. The seven wonders of the world, they wondered at the beast. There he is, King Kong. Let me tell you what the word wonder means. They admired. They had admiration. They marveled at the beast, the ecclesiastic adulterer. I admire that. I aspire to that. I want to be like that. Consequently, the spirit word and the enlightenment comes from that. We'll recognize it for what it really is. And we will really see what present day things really are. Instead of being enamored by them. I want to be that. I want, if I have one of those, I'll be happy then. I'll get five of those. I'll get one of those. If I got enough of this, I can do that. I'll do that. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Maybe we can get delivered from that. All right. A couple more minutes. I say that liberally. This was only sent to seven churches. That bothered me. Don't even bother you. They go, seven churches. What's the deal with seven churches? There are many more than seven churches in the world at the, at the time that this happened. 
Man, there was, a, there was ecclesia in Jerusalem. The ecclesia is at Rome. The ecclesia is at Antioch and Corinth and Colossae and Philippi and other places. All these other churches, but he sent it to these seven. And I'll tell you what I found out studying the Bible over the years. Because seven really means and it represents all. The seven golden candlesticks in the midst of which the figure or the likeness of the Son of Man was seen. It really represents Yahshua in the midst of the entire community slash ecclesia of the saints. The true saints, all the ecclesias are represented there. Those seven represented all ecclesias everywhere. For those who had ears. And Yahshua chose seven different conditions, seven ecclesias with seven different conditions, and he broke it down and gave them seven different messages. Not only do they represent those specific time, but it also is a prophetic word portraying the whole prophetic course of events to take place in the world. And he's warning them about those things. Second, third chapters, all about the messages to those seven churches. And he speaks to them specifically in respect to what their particular condition was. And his purpose is, like Paul said, Paul said it this thing, all things are for your sakes. And I want you to know the whole drama of the whole Bible and the whole events of the whole world through all the history, through every empire, from the beginning of Adam in the garden all the way to the very end is all about one thing. It's for our sake. Say it. Say it. It's my sake. This is all about me, which means us, a real ecclesia, all foretold in this apocalypse. The body of Christ being the ultimate focus of everything that happened and has happened in the scriptures and world events. And the end result is the body slash, and I'm going to call it bride of Christ, especially if I get into the 144,000 Wednesday night or who knows, I, no, no promises, okay? And in the end, we see us, the bride, the body of Christ, in a glorious, triumphant occupation of inheriting what is ours in the earth and all its honors and all its glory and, and all its eternal bliss. But the message to the ecclesia is our first place. Can we tell you why? Because that's the first concern of Yahweh and Yahshua. Us, the body of Christ, this ecclesia. Us, the body is important. And therefore, this whole thing in the book of, uh, book of Apocalypse is all for us, y'all. It's for us. Well, I don't know. You can't understand it. It's a be a blessing. All right, I'm going to do this in a glance. I promise you. I'm going to do it fast if you promise you, you'll keep up with me, okay? I'm not going to go into the political forecast and the seals and the trumpets. I'm going to tell you what. You talk about monotonous. I will wear you out teaching on that. And actually, I've done it before. And people get lower and lower in their seat. Lower and lower and snore and snore. But it's, it's tedious. It's monotonous. It's only, I mean, you have, to, you have to know history. You can't just know the major player in histories. You've got to know groups of history that 
you've never even heard about or people we've never even heard about. Oh, it's tedious. But when you've got a fire lit under you by Yahweh, <laughs> it's like hunting for gold. All right. Each message here is given a reference to some feature about Yahshua. I'm going I'm to go through the seven churches. I'm going to do it quick, I promise you. I can probably do it a minute, well, a minute for each church. But the message that's given to, like, you know, let's say the church at Ephesus. First, what happens is, there, watch, there's a reference to some specific, separate feature about the Son of Man. All right? Y'all get that? All right. Then, in each message, the, me the, the, the characteristic that selected is not only different, but it has direct bearing on the nature uh, to the message that to be communicated. What do you mean? I mean watch this, y'all. Watch this. This, what, this right here, what I'm fixing to read you, is what makes me love the Bible and gives me so much confidence. And I don't know if it's going to move y'all or not, but, but I want to tell you what. This is, this is just so wonderful to me. It just, I want to tell you, when I, was, when I, when I, this first, I first realized this, I was like, oh, man. This is so beautiful. And you might think it's ugly, not beautiful. But all right, the message to Ephesus is said to be from him, watch this, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. All right? The message to you, Ephesus, is from him who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So the reference to his presence among the churches was appropriate. What's he saying? I am in the midst of the ecclesias. All right? So what does he say? I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou can't bear them that are evil, etc., etc. What's he saying? I know what you're doing because I'm walking around in the midst of you. This is so deep. Maybe you already knew this, but man, I'll tell you what, when this first came to me, I'm like, Shazam! Golly! And so, what does he do? He speaks of who he is. I'm walking around the midst. Number two, he says, and because I'm in the midst, he said, I know your works and labor, your patience, and how you can't bear them. I know all about you. And then he goes on to appropriately promise that the overcomer or the victor should be permitted to eat of the tree of life, which is where? In the midst, <laughs> that did not blow you away. I know, I know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a goofy about this. Of the in the midst of the paradise of God, here I am in the midst of the golden candlesticks. I can see everything you're doing, but and if you overcome, guess what? You're going to be able to walk in the midst of paradise of the garden of God. Okay, maybe that didn't blow you away like it did me. Okay, angel, you need to help me here. I'm not saying it right. Okay, he goes to church at Smyrna. It says, I am he who was dead and is alive. Hmm. And so guess what he promises? A crown of life to those who are faithful. That are, and that you will not be hurt in the second death. He says it right there. Why would he say that? I just think it's great that he says, look, I was dead and I'm alive. And guess what I'm going to promise you? The very same thing. He didn't say, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to let you. No. He, he, this word is so exact. So the message is 
I'm he who's this, and I'm going to give you that. All right, we've already talked about wisdom, paradise of God, having immortality. Church at Pergamos. This message is him who hath the sharp sword with two edges, which it goes together with the threat he gave. Repent or else I'm going to come to thee quickly, and I will fight against thee with what? The sword that I have. <laughs> ah. Ah. I, I feel like I'm failing you here. All right, I'll, I'll just close. God bless y'all.